Hello, hello, hello. This is Tooth Be Told, Dr. Kyle Dumpert. Dr. Walter Aka, and we actually have uh, two guests with us today. Uh, Dr. Horton, he's back. And Dr. Tenorio, oh, okay, listen to him, okay. And <laughs> Dr. Tenorio, you're also back. You were just on the last episode of uh, Tooth Be Told. You crushed it, killed it. But Dr. Horton heard this episode, and uh, he started texting me. Right, with, with, uh, with uh, uh, I want to call it counterpoints to your argument. So, so he says that I'm, I'm missing a lot of things. So let's go ahead and have him explain what yeah. the, 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 where the, where the uh, counterpoints or argument or frustrations came from. So I'm going to go ahead. And okay. <laughs> okay. So Dr. Tenorio, um, Christiana, is that how you pronounce the first name? Yes. <laughs> okay. So uh, I was surprised when I uh, RSVP'd on the link that the title made it seem like we're going to be like on, you know, remember that old show Crossfire? Uh, Christiana might be too young for that, but <laughs> I wasn't, I didn't ask to come on to like debate or anything like that per, per se. Although I can always offer, listen, listen. I can always offer counter, countering uh, opinions on stuff, but the very first text I sent Walter mm -hmm. wasn't anything argumentative about anything no, that you had no, said. No, no. I was making fun of his line where he said, we just assumed you guys were all idiots, so I'm apologizing. And I like fell out my chair laughing. When he said, <laughs> and I still stand by that. I do apologize to just, just your school. Though. Just your school. The rest of you guys, I have issues with, but that's not. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to deny that. It's on record. <laughs> but but then then we did get into a little bit more of um you know where I was kind of talking about how some of the difficulties as a private practice owner in the, in the hiring process of a brand new grad. I'm also remembering my process, you know, because I was obviously an idiot 14 years ago when I first graduated. <laughs> new grad, right? Like uh, grad. New grad. New grad. Okay. <laughs> we don't, we're not, we don't insult people. We're new grad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So do we just dive in, or do yeah, you guys want to tee it up, or how you want to do it? So for me, I personally want to get your what you had to go through because you owned a private practice, right? You hired right. a new grad. I want to know what your thought process was before you hired them and then after you hired them, like and everything in between what you went through, because that could actually explain. And, and maybe you're not you're probably not the only person that's gone through a few of the things with the new grad. And then, right. Dr. Tenorio, I want to basically get your counterpoint on like, well, maybe this this is what we're going through as new grads. Right. Because it's right. not an argumentative situation. It's basically your truth. I just yeah. want you guys to tell your yeah. truth. That's it. You know, gotcha, we joke a lot gotcha. and stuff like that, but I want the truth <laughs> because, you know, the, this podcast is meant to be an educational situation for everybody. Right? right. And then we can come with a solution because in the end, we're all dentists and, 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 the, and, and the evil empire is, is, is whoever is against us. It could be pharmacists. It could be corporations. It could be anybody. But we're all, right. you know, we're all dentists and we want to make sure that we all figure a way to help each other go through this whole process. Right. Yeah. Until we all retire yeah. wealthy and rich and, and, and doing <laughs> Navy SEALs. You know, AKA. <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead, uh, Dr. Awesome. Horton, go ahead. Start with your story. Like, what your experience has been with new grads? Yeah. So, um, you know, I when I graduated, it was probably about a year and a half or so before I became a, a partner in a in an office. And one thing that I've learned over the years, having done a lot of work in interviews, a lot of hires, is that. It's really difficult, especially with a new grad, and, and we're a very procedural-based uh, profession, right? It's one thing if you're an internist and, you know, most of the stuff you're doing is diagnostic and, and referrals and so forth. But um, when you're a procedural-based profession, we have to be able to gauge what you can do, how you can do it, how fast you can do it, and so forth. And so with anybody, let alone a new grad, our normal process and, um, you know, uh, Dr. Dumpert and, and Aka, you can tell me if this is your experience too. You usually do working interviews. You get someone in, it might be a couple days, it might be a week or two, but you give them a, a patient schedule. They let you know what their comfortabilities are as far as procedures. And as owner, you're kind of overlooking. You might have the assistants take pictures after some class twos, or you're monitoring the root canals. You're seeing how they're doing on time, uh, how the final fill looks. And that's how you can gauge whether someone is a good fit in your practice or not, because no one's, you know, not everyone is equal. Well, but uh, not everybody you can't as far as do that. Yeah, can I can I ask some questions there? Because um, yep. at some point in the future, I will be hiring an associate. 
I, I've worked at several offices. I, I've never done a working interview. It was more, yeah. it's a, you know, the face-to-face -face interview, the phone calls. Uh, the one was my dentist growing up whose practice I was supposed to buy. So there was a personal connection there. But my question for you, is, what, are, what are the logistics of that working interview? Because they can't really see insurance-based patients. Um, what patients are you allowing them to see as you're kind of using those patients as a guinea pig to see what quality work they're doing? Um, what's the compensation model? Are they working for free or are you paying them a daily rate and saying, I'm going to put this stuff in your schedule? So what does that, I'm just curious on the logistics of a, a working model. And can right. I real quick, and can I just yeah. say that in an ideal world, I think everybody should have a working interview, just like, like you said, right? Uh, but I don't know if, if to follow uh, Kyle, I'm not sure what the rules are, but I know in Texas, I don't think dentists can have working interviews. It's either you believe us or you don't. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you, you might want to look into that. So a working interview isn't a free volunteer basis. Right, we right, pay right. Them, we pay them a daily rate. They can absolutely see insurance patients because when you bill as an office, you bill as a billing entity, and then you list who your treating doctors are. Mm -hmm. Now, some insurances will shoot it back and say, you know, your treating doctor is out of network, and there might be a slight uh, reimbursement differential, but they can absolutely see all your insurance patients, because almost always you're billing as a billing entity, and then your treating doctor is underneath that. Right. Um, and it used to be where they didn't even care who the treating doctor was, because your office was a single billing entity, and everything was billed under the owner's uh, TIN. Okay. Um, but yeah, we pay them a daily rate out here in Washington. That's kind of the going, the, the standard protocol when you get hired is usually, you know, especially in private offices, you do a work and interview for a couple of days. That way that the staff can meet you and see, you know, what your personality is, uh, what your skill sets are. You can see if it's a good fit, um, whether you want to work at that office or not, what, what type of patient load you're going to have, what type of cases and so forth. Right. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure exactly how, how it, it's done down there, but out here, that's kind of the, the, the standard practice. Um, so yeah, it's absolutely paid. It's not a, you know, we don't try to take advantage of anybody. It's usually just a daily rate because, um, you don't know what they can do. Right. And you're kind of gambling a little bit. Um, and again, it's, it's a procedural based profession. And so you can tell me all you want. You were first in your class or, you know, you've done X amount of crowns or X amount of uh, uh, extractions. But as as I've seen working interviews, both new grads, uh, internationally um, foreign trained dentists that do the, the international programs here at the schools, the spectrum of how good or competent or proficient you are as a clinician is really wide, right? So I would love to be able to hire somebody for this type of profession off a great face-to-face -face interview. But unfortunately, I've just been burnt so many times by people that sounded great, looked great on paper, had all these achievements from dental school. And literally I'm sitting there waiting for an hour and a half for them to, to complete a root canal on number 28, only for them to come and get me and say, hey, I can't find the canal. You know what I mean? And it, it's happened so many times that Really, I, I've never, I, after a certain amount of times, I never hired anyone just off an interview any, anymore. We always did an actual working interview. And the, the problem with new grads is, and I understand it, you want to line up a job when you get out that you're going to have some job security, you're going to have some long-term commitment from your employer. And one of the things, Dr. Tenorio, I heard you saying was that the private office practitioner kept like, putting it off a little bit. Like, oh, well, call me when you get your license. Call me. And that, I could identify with that because I was like, well, yeah, we don't know what you can do, right? Whereas the corporate model, you know, and not that corporate, the corporate model doesn't have a place in our industry. They're not necessarily, they're for the most part managing from the ivory tower that's often out of state, okay? When you're a private owner, that is your name that's attached in the community so you can't, it's really hard to just bring anybody off of a good phone conversation and say, yeah, I'll commit to you to pay you this much and to a two-year contract. And it's just, it's just a lot more difficult when you're a private owner. And then you really don't know how to gauge someone's compensation because let's say it's a daily rate. Daily rate out here in Washington is probably starting is like 700 a day, 
okay? And <laughs> yeah. you notice how excited she got. She's like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I have not heard that this, high at all. This, this, <laughs> is, this wow. is says the difference between Texas and Washington. Yeah. That was that look yeah. right there. Yeah. She's, mm-hmm. about to, she's about to move. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it might be 700 a day. And we say, listen, we'll start you off at 700. And then at three months, when you actually have some numbers to gauge, we'll sit down and see if, if we're paying you too low and we want to maybe up the daily or put you on a percentage or do you really need some help? Because it's not fair if you're only producing, say, 1600 a day, but you're getting paid 700. It's not fair for, for us to continue that. And I'm losing money every time you walk into the door. You know what I'm saying? And so there's just a lot more factors that come in when you're a private owner, because usually on a fixed budget, you're actually living off your profit margin or a corporation especially if it has uh, private equity money, they're just trying to squeeze, you know, seven, eight percent profit off of the entire investment. We need at least about a, you know, 28 to 30 percent profit margin to actually live off as individuals. And if we're paying you, you know, 25, 28, 30 percent, like, you know, we're not really making any money off of you. We're, we're hoping that you grow the practice and we can make money when we when when the owner's work or when off the hygiene patients. So there's just this, this fine balance that is really hard to commit to someone. Although, you know, with, with, from what I heard, you know, with the amount of crowns you did in, in school, like you may be, just from what I heard, a rock star compared to a lot of, hell, me yeah, when I didn't do that many yeah, crowns when I was in middle school. A, that school's a rarity. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, but, but it's that, you're not the common find. Um, we're getting kids graduate, graduating, never having done a live molar, uh, endo, Mm -hmm. maybe only having done, especially in the COVID area era, uh, maybe only done a handful of crowns. Some people are coming from schools where if they have to lay any flap or put sutures, boom, OS gets that extraction, you know? Um, so NYU, NYU has a class like what, 400? Yeah. Every student I, yeah. yeah, every student I talked to or graduate I talked to from there, they couldn't do any surgical extractions whatsoever. If, if the tooth wasn't doing this, then it was OS. So I can't really work with you, you know, um, or I can't work with you at that daily rate. And so what I did when I graduated was, even though I had a lot of surgical experience from my training, when I met my boss that is now my, my business partner, I said, hey, listen, pay me whatever you think is fair. Let me earn it, hustle, let me learn off of you. There's going to be times where you're not producing, but you're over my shoulder teaching me. I'll take a lower a lower reimbursement for three months and then let's evaluate it at the end of the three months. Hmm. And he thought that was fair. I thought that was fair because hell, I didn't know how to gauge my worth. Right. Do you know? I mean, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought there was all these nuances. So when you, when you mentioned, uh, Dr. Tenorio, the private office versus corporate, I, I empathize with that private practitioner because I was like, well, what's he supposed to do? <laughs> you know, it's his, it's his name. That's his business in the community. Like he don't know you. Right. Um, and, and you might be great and it might be completely his loss, but that's like for every one of you, there's probably 30 or 40 other graduates that he would be losing on. Uh, or there's a high likelihood he would be losing on it. Is, does that make sense? So that, that was like the mm. initial part of my, like, you know, me raising my hand as I'm listening yes. to the podcast, like, ooh, ooh, <laughs> right. Okay, well, let's, let's ask uh, Dr. Tenario, what, what's your, your understanding and, and rebuttal for this, right? Because you're a new grad and you have friends mm-hmm. that are also new grads and you guys are all out there and you just want to be given a chance. Right. And it doesn't and I told- seem like the, the, the general, I'm sorry, it doesn't seem like the private practice guy wants to do that, if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I mean, I totally understand Dr. Horton's side as well, because it's true. You don't want to hire someone and then end up losing money. Um, but I know the working interview also sounds really great, but it's also hard when we all graduate with such an insane amount of debt and then we have no way to pay the bills. Like even for me, it took me two and a half months to get my license. And so if I didn't have that interview until say this week or next week, and that's still up in the air. And then I have to go another month or so trying to figure out how to pay, pay bills. Like my loans are running out. So I don't have like any other source of income, like a spouse or a parent. And so I guess at that point I would have to like take out a personal loan. So then like just financially, that's one reason why all of us want a job before we graduate. Cause we don't have a way of paying the bills 
after graduation. But also, but I do like the working interview, especially for someone um, who does have a job, for example, and doesn't have to, or like, you know, has been working a while and is okay taking a month off or so. That is a very good idea. Uh, one thing my boss did was she, it was after she hired me, but she did a family and friends day. So she had me bring in my dad who needed a crown and a filling. And she just wanted to see how I did the crown, how I go through doing a filling, how fast I am, how I interact with the patient. And she gave me feedback on that, which again, it was after she hired me, but it was nice because that could go into her mentoring style as well. Because I feel like as a new grad, um, it goes both ways. One, the graduate has to be willing to learn and get more efficient and be faster because I know some people in my class, especially the ones who did 30 plus crowns and 100 plus fillings and 100 extractions, I, especially those who were very like the top in our clinical class, they were so unbelievably fast and efficient by the time they graduated. And they are doing very well in private practice right now or corporate, wherever they chose to go. But there were also some people in my class who were just naturally slower and it's going to take them a lot of time. So I could see where corporate would be better for them because but also corporate tends to force people to just dive in and gives you a bunch of patients. But that's also hard on some of those students as well. So it's kind of a hit or miss with them. So sometimes it's almost better for them to be in a slower private practice setting, I guess, because it's not, I feel like private practice owners don't really throw you to the wolves as much as corporate. But um, also, I mean, even if you do all the mentoring you can possibly do and you figure out their learning style and you give them all the best advice there are still some people who might actually need to go into another residency like an agd or gpr some people are just naturally slower and that's when i feel like you got to give a new grad at least six months to gain some speed and get used to it but i mean maybe even like four to kind of at least show some progression. And if you're doing everything you can as a practice owner and they're still just taking forever or not understanding how to do certain procedures, like you said, finding a canal on number 28, um, then I feel like at that point, that seems reasonable to say, you know, maybe this isn't a good fit or maybe you need to go see, you know, corporation or go to a specialty because some people are just naturally slower, uh, but I do feel like not every new grad is like that. And especially like we were talking about last time with the experiences in school, um, it takes time and experience to gain that speed. And I know I was way faster when I graduated compared to when I started dental school. I could rip out teeth and extractions like no other. And uh, well, it just kind of takes practice. Let's not do that. Yeah, extract teeth as really quickly and like stuff like that. But it just kind of depends because I mean, but like you said, there's some people who graduated my class that did their 17 crowns and maybe still are super slow. But then you also have those schools like y'all mentioned earlier that have done less than 10 crowns. And those people, I feel like that'd be very difficult to get fast, especially straight out of dental school. I know for me, my first 10 crowns, I was still very slow. And it just, it does take time and patience, but it also, there needs to be that mutual understanding when you hire them as well being like, I expect this from you. Cause one of the questions my boss had in the interview, other than how many extractions and uh, crowns and stuff I'd done was how fast can you prep a crown? And I told her, well, if you want it to be the most perfect crown, maybe about an hour, hour and a half. And that was still in my fourth year at the time. I think I'd only done about like 10 crowns. And she was like, well, you need to get faster. Are you willing to be faster? I was like, yes, I want nothing more than to be to prep a crown in 30 minutes or less. Um, so we were both on the same understanding that was like, oh, we both want to do this. Like we we both she wants me to be faster and I also want to be faster and we're willing to learn from each other compared to, oh, wow, I can't believe you'd expect that from me. Right. OK, well, I think I think uh, Dr. Horton had a 
an issue with that statement. No, uh, no, I, I was just joking that we, we no, want no, that no. 30 minutes down even a little lower. Even more. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, think about that, really. uh, I, I think the one thing that new grads need to understand is how much, how, how, how valuable is your time? And how valuable is your time for your, uh, you know, your, the, the, owner, the owner of the practice, right? If it takes you an hour right. to do a crown prep, when that owner could maybe say, okay, well, I'm, I won't give you that crown prep, but I'm going to give you like five T to extract this in, within the same hour, you might've actually done more production, mm-hmm. right? But a lot of new grads want to do this full mouth rehab and all the other stuff without any knowledge and then want to take their time to do it. But, you know, time is, is relative to everybody, right? If, if, it, if, if you do, for example, Kyle knows this with insurance and I like to bring it up because he gets irritated <laughs> with it, but you know, you can do a crown and then one insurance will pay you $400. And you can do the same exact crown. Another one will pay you a thousand, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. there's a lot of other factors that go in. It's not just about speed. And so that's why when she was like, "Oh, you need to be faster," I'm like, "Well, what does that really mean?" You know, right. what I mean? <laughs> because insurance is another factor, right? right. That that uh, that doctor uh, only cooperating with good insurance company, or they're taking everybody. Right. You see, so there's onus on them as well. And so, Dr. Horton, like, how do you make sure that you explain to new grads or, or how do we make sure that we get new grads to understand the other factors? It's not just speed. It's other factors. And how do we make sure that we, you know, we need to let them know, hey, we need to be profitable because if we're not profitable, this office is closing down and it's going to affect the hygienist, the front office, uh, me. It's going to, you know, it's going to affect them. So there's other factors and other people. It's not like a corporation where if the office closes down, they don't care. They're like, all right, cool. That's you're one of a hundred. Right. But this is one of one, you know, right. and, and, and that might affect that your hygienist. And so dentists that have their own office have so many other factors that they have to think about. You know, well, I think vacation. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I think that's right? a, a great point. Time is valuable in from many different perspectives, right? Um, I think, Doctor Tenorio, you just made an amazing argument that dental school should be a five-year process, yep. and everybody mm-hmm. should have a minimum GPR yep. of some sorts. Because when we graduate, we're minimally minimally competent. We really need that real-life setting to really get our feet under us, right? So if we did a, an extra year of you're working in a clinic under a preceptor or a supervisor, you're also maybe getting some of those business classes that they damn sure didn't give you enough of in, <laughs> in dental school. But it, I mean, four years, I think from what I've seen and obviously my own experience, I think dental school should be five years, you know? Um, Disagree, but continue. I'll, I'll get back to that. <laughs> okay. Go ahead, Kyle. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I don't want to interrupt. That was just my little no, side but, note. Continue your no, thought, you, and I'll come back to it. Okay, but you remember you did a GPR as well. I did. Yes. So you thought that that was valuable, but we'll go. We'll right. finish. Yeah. We'll let Dr. Horton finish, and then Kyle. Right. And and again, not all GPRs are are built the same. Like right. the one here at the University of Washington, that my buddy did it. Um, that I graduated with. It was very hospital based. So a lot of the stuff that he did, what didn't necessarily translate to private practice. You know, um, so but I think in in general, I don't feel like everyone is really ready to be able to enter the workforce and be as productive as they need to be on, you know, kind of in general. Right. Um, And you got to remember, if I hire you as, as a dentist, I also have to make sure I also hire extra support staff. Right. You need a assistant. We might need an extra sterilization tech. Um, so there's a lot of costs associated with taking on a new dentist. So sometimes that four months or six months of all these associated costs, if I'm generally losing money, like that's thousands upon thousands of dollars, right? Which isn't, a, I'm not trying to argue that we should never hire a new grad because you're in that situation where you're like, well, you want experience. How am I going to get experience if you don't give me a chance to get experience? <laughs> right. So I'm totally empathetic to that. Um, I, I almost wish that they would defer your student loans for a whole year after graduating if, with any healthcare profession, especially now since the tuitions are like five times what they were when I was in school. Huh. Huh. And there and there's no proportional increase to the quality of education that you're getting. They're now. just charge they're just charging you more. Right. Right. I see Walter, Walter's over there snapping Come on for now. me. <laughs> <laughs> you're about to get me started. Right. <laughs> but I but time is also valuable in learning, right? So you see how much money everybody spends in continuing education. 
thousands of puns, tens of thousands. And it's because there's a value in that. And I think if you find like, like I was lucky enough to find uh, um, an employer who was older, more experienced, and he liked to teach, where I felt comfortable saying, hey, pay me a little less in the beginning, but I just want your time because your time is valuable. And he he uh, held up his end of the commitment. He spent a lot of time with me, giving me advice, looking over cases before and after. He was instrumental in getting me into the implant game. Um, and so I think if you go into it with that mindset, but unfortunately, I don't think everyone is as, as humble and down to earth as Dr. Tenorio, because I've seen a lot of grads <laughs> kind of come out and they're just, they think they're hot shit. Yeah. And they're very ideal. They're very ideally um, idealistic, and they have their. Well, in school, we were taught. You know, we watch a filling until it crosses that. You know, cemental enamel junction, and that's about 0.2 millimeters away from there. So we're just going to watch it. Like there's just you know, and you're like, okay, well, if you're not moldable to the program here, I can't work with you. And I think that's another mm -hmm. thing is you you have to be willing to adopt someone else's practice philosophy when you go into their office. Even if you want to do things different, you just know, hey, I'm gaining experience. I'm going to do things a little different when I'm owner, when I get my own practice. And so I think there's there's a lot of mentalities that can make a successful new grad associate. And unfortunately, I just I don't see a lot of them coming in with that humble mentality of, hey, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I just want your time and opportunity. You know, and for a couple months, I'll take an L just on a slower, on a lower reimbursement so I can prove my worth to you. Because at the end of the day, Dr. Tenorio, if you are a rock star, right, in three months, your numbers will reflect that yeah. you're a rock star. And mm -hmm. that owner will be the dumbest owner on earth if your number's up here and you say, okay, I want this portion of that as my daily rate or my percentage. If they say no, they're stupid. So the leverage is always on you if you perform, you know, mm -hmm. and you're, and you are making some income right. for those three months. It's just not maybe, you know, here the 700 a day, you might be asked to say, Hey, I'll do it for 500 a day. Just make sure you work with me. And let's, that's, that's mm -hmm. Texas. does that make sense? <laughs> 500 is Texas. Oh, yes, that's Texas. Right. That's over Texas so, yeah. so please lower that 400. So we, okay. You know, okay. You know what I mean? One of my best friends from dental school, she's actually doing something similar in a private practice in Nashville where the doctor is paying her, I think either a certain percentage or a daily rate. And it's, it's either average or maybe slightly below average, but um, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's a very similar situation where um, also because the owner just opened up a few months ago. So she's like, I don't know, you know, I don't, I want to take on someone else, but I don't have a lot of money to pay you this high salary. Let's see how you do first and see how much you produce first. And so that was their deal was to reevaluate in a few months and then see if, you know, they need to raise that daily or that percentage as well, because, uh, which is nice because it, again, it's a private practice setting and it's a new private practice. So um, it was all about how much can my friend do for the practice as well. And how, I guess, like you said, how valuable she will be to the practice owner. Okay. I'm going to jump on with Kyle about his disagreement with um, whether or not, you know, the GPR. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then I want to get onto another topic of, yeah. you know, the owners, I feel like some owners feel like, oh, look, I'm busy. So now I need to bring on an associate without actually crunching the numbers to see, can your office sustain another associate, right? So let's just say you're seeing 20 patients and that's all you've been doing. And then you bring on another associate, where are those patients for that associate? So I think a lot of doctors don't look at that, but we'll talk about Kyle's hatred for GPR. <laughs> Huge advocate for continuing continuing right, education. Right. I, I think it's a, the best way to become the better doctor uh, is always looking for that continuing education. I don't think dental schools should be five years because you're paying that extra year of cost. And what if oh, it's hey, free? Hey, freight or paid GPR? Yeah, okay. what if it was, yeah, what if it was I'm, a, I'm a fan of GPR, not of dental school. Dental school gives basics, <laughs> and yeah. let's be honest, half the people in dental school that are teaching you are there because they couldn't make it in private practice because they didn't have the business, they didn't have the, the clinical skill sets. And I can only speak about my dental school, I can't speak of any others, but right. half the people there, I don't want to be there another year to learn 
why from them when they couldn't make it on their own. I'd rather go out and learn that from either the GPR, continuing education, uh, classes that I want to sign up for, or finding a mentor doctor that's um, you know crushing it and, and willing to teach me. Uh, so mandatory fifth year dental school, not a fan of. Uh, even mandatory GPR, there are so many different routes that you can take in dentistry. Not everybody needs to go to a GPR. There's, uh, you know, you can go work for the prison system. You can go work for, uh, you know, public health. You can go any different area. I think it's a huge benefit to go to a GPR as long as it's a good one. Uh, but that's a, a personal choice that everybody should make on their own. And I, I don't think that should be a mandated thing. Okay, Kyle, what about this? And this might this might revolutionize dentistry because I feel like it will based on what I'm about <laughs> to tell you guys. Uh, but what if dental schools worked with the, G, the, the general practitioners or offices around them, paid the um, new grad, the fifth year, that fifth year, paid them 50,000, right? And then those doctors mentored them because now they have a practice, right? So now you know that they can make it as uh, uh, practitioners, right? Because Kyle said, oh, why would I work with somebody that, or learn from somebody that couldn't hack it in private practice? They have a private practice office. The private practice is doing well. They bring on an, uh, a fifth year dental student, we'll call them that, right? Pay them the 50,000. That's what I, I remember the GPR was for us, 50,000, right? So they basically get that low overhang when it comes to that, that doctor. And then they get to educate them and teach them. And then if it works out and you're like, man, I got a rock star, then I hire you. So it's almost like an internship transition into a, a, a what's it called? A job. Well, and that so brings we all, up another, we all benefit. That, that brings up another problem that I've had whenever I've thought about hiring an associate. Uh, I'm in a small town, so people want to see the same face, the same doctor treating them every time. Uh, they want a, a problem with our are you considered a millennial? Are they still, are, are millennials still? Are, are you talking to me? generation are you? I feel like she's like, name for yeah, I like she's no, I'm not Gen Z. What's, what's, what's like the lowest one? Like, that's like she barely made like a Z. They, they yeah, I'm at the bottom of like the millennials, <laughs> no, like almost no, borderline. The problem with millennials, which I'm a part of, <laughs> is we move around a lot. So to the expense that Dr. Horton mentioned about bringing in an associate, the the likelihood that associate is going to stick around at your office long term is very low. Um, right. I, I'm not sure that. What yeah. about this theory I just brought up, though? You you know that they're there for one year. You right. get to supervise them, and you don't have to pay them that much. That's a hard sell to the patient, though. When a patient is paying private practice rates to come in and say, you know, this is a, I have a fifth year dental student that's going to be doing all your work for you. Um, they might not be here in a year, but they're going to be doing your dentistry. I think most patients, it's all in how you word things, but right. that patient, if I'm going to a, a dentist or a physician or something, you could charge them less. Charge, less. Right. But, charge, the, charge the patient less and then no. there's this argument. And, and what kind of clientele is that going <laughs> to you know, attract to your office? Uh, a lot of I us guess. want to market to a certain population right. uh, and have a certain standard. But if you're bringing in somebody that you're saying you can get cheaper treatment, let's see how it goes. They're, they're a fifth year student. Uh, it's, I, I don't do know see, what do the answer what the is. is. Yeah. Do you see the problem though? Like yeah, you gave yeah. us a, an issue and I'm like, okay, so let's find a solution to this. Right. Well, right. well I, I think that the solution actually is, is, or the problem may not be as, as prevalent as you think, right? Okay. There's always going to be your, your core patients that are like, I'm a Dr. Dumper patient. Right. I don't care what you offer me, right? But if you're getting, let's just say, 20 new patients a month, that's the new doctor. That's their new patient load. And a fair percentage oh, okay. of your existing patients, they might not they might not care. They might want you, like if you did their implant, they'll be like, hey, for major stuff. Like that's what, that's what happened with me. I, I had to kind of train my patients to, to see the associates. The new patients didn't care who they were seeing because they don't know anything, right? And then I would get patients that were like, all right, well, if I'm doing anything major, I want Dr. Horton. But for my you know cleanings, fillings, exams, yeah, I'm fine seeing the other doc. And so it really wasn't hard to build a patient load for the associates in that way. Um, and then there was like, you know, maybe 2% of the patients were like hardcore, like every exam has to be Dr. Horton, every whatever. You know, but then 
you know, you get new patients all the time. And that eventually within a couple of weeks or, you know, a couple months, that associate has a pretty healthy schedule. Now, I, I think it's, I think corporate fills that need for um, where it's not a problem for the graduating dentist because that corporate has filled that niche where we're going to guarantee you a salary. We're going to give you training. We're going to give you patience. We understand that you're not going to, we're going to be happy if you, you stay at least two to three years. If you're gone after that, we're kind of expecting that where private practice I think is the one that needs to figure out how do we fix this, um, whether it's big city, small town, uh, different demographics. But when it comes to me as an owner, and if somebody's going to stick around for a year or two, especially a new graduate, that maybe after they leave, I'm left with, you know, this root canal didn't turn out good. You know, it's a year later and it's flaring up. It needs redone. Who's going to pay for that patient to go see the the root canal specialist? Who's going to pay to have that implant redone? It goes back to the owner because if you're not guaranteeing that work, then the associate got paid, the associate left, and now me as the owner is taking the extra expense to redo that work uh, on my dime. So that that's another mm-hmm. consideration as a, a private practice owner when you're hiring somebody that doesn't have a whole lot of experience as how do you make that work financially? Well, Kyle, that's not fair either because think about what you just said, right? You're saying that the patients that pick a corporation should be treated less than the patients that go to private practice when the, and I'm not, I know that's not exactly what you're saying, but imagine this, right? Corporations have gotten to the point where, where they basically hide their name uh, so you don't even know it's a corporate office. Right. You don't, right? right? So those patients are coming in there thinking, this is my private practice dental office or this is, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, and, and so then how do we basically make sure the patients are treated fairly and, and they're still getting the same quality no matter where they go? It's not the patient's fault that corporations are getting better. It didn't you, Remember back in the day, it used to be like Apple Dentist and you'll see Apple Dentistry everywhere. Right. Or you'll right. see Aspen Dental. Aspen Dental was the same name everywhere. So right. you knew right. it was a chain. But they figured out that pro or they, they saw that problem where a lot of new grads or general dentists can't do the implants. They won't let them do the root canals. They're only letting the specialists handle it because they, the specialists will get paid more and they don't have to worry about that redo rate that they would with a general dentist. And I agree with that. Are you, are you restricted on any procedures that you are able to do? I am. Um, I was told to refer all molar endo um, and no implant placement and um, any surgical extraction. <laughs> well, Walter's telling I, you not to place any implant. I, I, I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was not my limitation. I said whatever you want. Right. I, 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 I did feel, say that. I feel like whether it's a private practice or corporate, I feel like a lot of like new, whether it's a new grad or just a new dentist, sometimes they are limited and they're I've been told even in private practice that the private practice de- owner dentist will take all the crowns and the bridges and then leave just the um, continuing care exams and new patient exams. And so it's hard for the new um, dentist to even make their production mm. from that. And then like, like I was saying before, practice makes you faster and stuff. So how are people supposed to, especially new grads, how are they supposed to be faster at crowns if they're not right. given crowns or like how, for example, if, I, I'm not very interested in molar endo, to be honest, but if, you know, in the future I did, how was that, how am I supposed to be faster at molar endo if I'm not allowed to do any of them? So it's one of those like balances where it's go it's, but then I also see where y'all are coming from, where who does the retreat if my molar endo messes up and say I end up going somewhere else in a couple of years. So it's so hard. It's hard to figure out what the ideal situation is. Okay, Dr. Horton, how do you answer that question? She just well, basically brought up a good question, right? How can she benefit yeah. and grow if she's not allowed to do anything? Well, well, this this is the the dilemma. The shelf life of most associates is two years. All right. And corporations and the frustration right. And and so the frustration as a as a as a business owner is that you're investing all this time to help them grow, right? And then right when they get good, they bounce. 
Okay. Well, that, that, <laughs> that just shows it, how well how well you did as a mentor. Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> but anyway, and so that that part can be frustrating. As far as uh, Dr. Dumpert's uh, concern about you know having to guarantee work, that just kind of comes with owning a practice that's beyond you. You know, in whatever industry that you're in, anytime you, if you're a contractor and you have subcontractors and you're you're guaranteeing that work, like it all falls under your umbrella. You know, and and hopefully that, you know, you you choose well in someone that's got some pretty good skill. And then with your mentoring, you know, because everybody has root canals that potentially after a few years yeah. might flare up, and you don't know why you send it to no, the non-healing, non-healing. Right, right. <laughs> they don't heal. They don't heal. Right. They don't that's heal. A, right. That's a scenario. I want you to write that down. Non-healing. Non-healing. Nothing, ever, non-healing. nothing ever fails. Yeah. Right. <laughs> implants. I'm like, right. it didn't fail. It not. It didn't. It didn't heal. <laughs> but um, for Dr. Tenorio's um, comment about, you know, the doctor, the owning doctor doing the, the crown and bridge and the root canals and the new associate, yeah. I, I think there's some value to a gradual buildup, right? Because, yeah, it's it, it you do get faster with practice, but I don't I see a lot of graduating dentists not having a good foundation of diagnostics not having a good foundation of overall treatment planning. I get a lot of cases where they come in and they're like, oh yeah, you know, this guy wants uh, crowns from six to 11, his, you know, his anterior teeth are beat up. And you're like, all right, well, let me look at this. And it's like edge to edge, you know, 80% wear on on both. And you're just like, where are you gonna put these six crowns? Let's sit back and, and take a look at that. Let's really work on your diagnostic and your treatment planning abilities. And I think it takes time. Yeah, I would like to see do your MODs for a good month or two, you know, really get your, your, your anesthesia down, your, your routine down, your rapport with the patients, your body language, your, um, you know, how you sell treatment. And then we slowly graduate you up. And yeah. And in the meantime, of course, you're part of the trade-off is you're learning, you're in an environment where you are, you are getting repetitions and I'm doing the stuff that I love to do because I've earned that. Right. Right. I've, built this practice up, but the more time you're there and the more trust you garner, you all of a sudden, you know, hey, I don't have time to do this crown. Can you do it for me? Holy crap, the assistant came and said, Dr. Tenorio just, you know, was a rock star in there. Patient's extremely happy, only wants to see Dr. Tenorio. They're like, oh, all right, well, let's start feeding her some more stuff. You know, I, I think, but I think a lot of uh, new grads come out and they're like, oh yeah, I definitely want to learn. I want you to be my mentor. And after two days, they're like, can I do that implant? And you're like, whoa, slow down, you know, <laughs> put your time in. Um, so I, I think if, if you're in a good situation where you have good communication and, and a good plan with a private owner, taking your time and really building your foundation from the ground up in private practice, I think there's some value in that. And with time, I would presume if there's a good relationship there and your your performance is good, then your what's thrown in, in your plate is going to increase as well. Okay, let's talk sense. about let's talk about uh, um, owners, right? Because it's not just the, the associates. I feel like owners don't really have a foundation on what their offices are really doing. They right. just go, "I feel busy, so I need somebody else to take some load off of me." It's not. Let me look at the numbers to see can I sustain or bring in another person full time? Because no one wants to come into an office once or twice a week, right? right. No grad who has. Three hundred thousand uh, dollars worth of student loans wants to work two days, right? Right, but a lot of owners just go, "Oh, I need somebody because I feel busy," or "Oh man, patients can't get in for two weeks, so we need somebody." Without looking at numbers, so how do we get past the that part? Because that's stupidity on the owners, right? Because we don't seem to look at numbers the same way as a corporation would. Right. So how do we get past yeah. that, guys? You know, I, I think as an owner. Um, I would need to be willing to, if I'm going to invest in somebody and an associate to come into my office, I also need to be willing to step back and my schedule maybe not be as full because when I was an associate dentist and I, and I wasn't busy enough and I started looking elsewhere to be able to make the payments that I need to make, make the money that I need to make. uh, I was looking at the owner thinking, you know, he's been at this for the, you know, 20 years. I understand he has to keep the ship running and, you know, keep payroll going, keep the income coming in. But now as an owner, 
when I want to bring an associate in, I I'm willing and ready to step back and I got to at least make that minimum production to, to keep the boat afloat. But like I said, I, I need to be willing to feed that associate all the new patient exams, all the, you know, more procedures that's going to, you know, make it worth their while to come into the office. Or I have to have a marketing plan and the, the operatories and space available. I need to have the staff if I'm going to expand hours. Uh, so you need to look at all those things. If you're not willing to step back, you need to have a plan how you're going to grow this practice the day that associate steps in. So they're busy also. Okay, Dr. Horton. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would never tell anyone to not jump. You. Into, not you. I'm talking but, about. I mean, let's look at the general dental. Field, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. We, we do. We do a horrible job of actually knowing what's going on in our practice. Well, yeah, and so, so I would never tell anybody to get an associate full time right away. Okay. Because no, no one's ever ready to double their work. Right. I've just never seen a scenario that's less like that. When I took, when I, I was working full time and I started noticing that, listen, we're booking out a little too far ahead. Um, we could probably use the help. You sit down and you crunch the numbers and you see how many patients and procedures and you're like, I could probably justify somebody maybe two days a week. But and that's, that's hard though. That's hard. It is. It is. $300,000 worth of debt. Absolutely. But your other option is to hire someone full time. And now your minimum production you need to make also has to include a full-time doctor salary, which might be $140,000, $160,000 a year. And how are you going to do that when there's not enough patients for them and now you're also working less? And so it's, that's just one of the painstaking parts of being an owner and trying to grow the practice is there's that transition phase between, um, you know, when you can sustain a, an associate full time and when you can when you really start it's probably only about two days a week and the difficulty is you hire someone they're like oh yeah that's fine i'll pick up three days in somewhere else but two months down the road when they get a full-time offer they're out the door right so i mean i, I mean speaking from uh i mean dr tenari you can jump in here but i, I would i would do that too like you, yeah. you're not paying my pay, you're not paying my debt. So why would I <laughs> want to go ahead and 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 wait for your practice to grow to that level, right? Is that fair? Yeah. You know, and that transitions us to uh, why corporations, I think, are doing so well. But right. you know, I want Dr. Mario to answer that question. Like, what was your thought process? I mean, you have so much debt, and then you're looking for something full time. And and Dr. Horton just said, hey, most people are not ready for full time. So how do you guys balance all that? You know, that's tricky. I actually did have a dentist um, that I was talking to out here in Houston. She was just helping me, you know, come up with ways to find work around here. And one of her suggestions was to work part time at one office, part time at another, you know, every other day at one office, go somewhere else. And I liked the idea, but I also didn't know how easy it would be to even find offices whose days would line up. And I know it in terms of the, the offers I received were thankfully full time. But in their contract, it says, I can't work anywhere else. So if I did want to go spend my weekends or my evenings working somewhere else, I'm legally not allowed to. So I feel like that would be one thing for if a practice were to say, hey, you can only be part time. They can't restrict you to not working somewhere else. Um, also, they're non-compete. They probably shouldn't have one of those because then that also limits to where what you can do, where you can go. But it is hard when you are in so much debt in that unknown of, well, I'm kind of working two jobs. What if they drop me at some point? Or, um, you know, just even finding that. Because I saw a couple of things online, like dentists looking for part-time. But most of those people wanted experienced dentists as well. I didn't look too far into it. So maybe it was because they wanted somebody to work their Fridays and be by themselves. Or maybe, you know, they just wanted to have like a day, an extra day off of the week. But it's not a horrible idea as a new grad at least to work at multiple offices just as long as they can find a way for it to line up and that's when it starts getting confusing and also figuring out well if or i mean they would definitely have to work essentially full time i feel like it would be close to impossible for someone to only work two days a week straight out of school if they don't have any other source of income i'm not impossible but they would just 
it'd be extremely difficult to not only pay your own bills to live, but also to pay off your loans as well. So um, it just kind of depends on each person's personal situation. But I personally did not want that. I wanted something that was very um, secure. Well, let's let's wrap it up here. And I think we might have to continue this conversation uh, another time. But I want to just kind of sum it up by saying, you know, and, and this is a little teaser. We'd like to tease um, for our next episode so people listen. Uh, we'll start off by saying that we have a YouTube page. There's a lot of people who are like, well, how come, you know, you guys didn't, you guys stopped recording for like, I think it was a two, two or three weeks when Dr. Horton came on to do his presentation. We have a YouTube page. So you go watch it. It's Tooth Be Told Podcast. Very simple. Just go on there and watch it, okay? You actually will get to see <laughs> two great presentations. Because people were like, oh, you stopped recording for like two weeks. We're like, no. Every single week you're recording. <laughs> it's just that those two, there's no way we could just have an audio version of uh, his presentation. It doesn't make any sense. So go on Tooth Be Told Podcast. That's a, Search that. You know, and, and, and also make sure that you like and subscribe and all that stuff so that we can have like three people like and subscribe to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But, uh, no, but honestly, I think the transition is going to be how come corporations are doing so well? Is it right. our fault as general dentists, uh, as, as, as private practice owners? Because now they've gone from, I think, Kyle, like in the two, early 2000s to like 10% or 12% to like over 20, 30% now. Right. So they're Great. growing. Yeah. And, and I know that, yeah, I know that uh, private equities are kind of really coming into dentistry, but these are all the little factors that we want to talk about. You know what right. I mean? Yep. Uh, so, so that's a good transition. Uh, if you guys want to come back on and have that discussion, I think you, yeah. you could. And, you know, I like to play around a lot, but there was no anger or anything with yeah. Dr. Horton. <laughs> I just wanted to, to get on, on the podcast. You know, there was truly no hatred or anything. Though. It was just, he made some valuable points. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Let's come on and have a discussion about it. Yeah. You know, there's Thank a lot you, that needs to be, yeah, there's a lot that needs to be different. And, Thank and you both for coming on. Yeah. Oh, thank yeah. you for having thank us. You. Yeah, great to meet you, Dr. Tenorio. Good luck. Yeah, nice with to meet you too. Endeavors, and hopefully we'll be back on soon together. All right. <laughs> thank you. All right, guys. Right, Thank you for listening to Tooth Be Told. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at realdentist with an S at gmail.com. That's realdentist, R-E-A-L, dentist with an S at gmail.com. Remember, the opinions on this podcast are just that, our professional opinions. The final decision about your health should be made by you and a trusted dental professional.